When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em. And welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. Zolgad and Collar with you. Uh, our second Purple Podcast, Matthew Collar from Mankato, where there is plenty going on. Actually, let's start with this. Wide receiver, Michael Floyd, uh, who's going to be suspended for the first four games of the season, has looked fantastic so far, working against the second team. What has this meant for one Laquan Treadwell, who, of course, last year proved to be a first-round bust, and we're all now, for the Vikings' sake, hoping that's not the case. Well, Laquan has actually had some good days here so far in Mankato, I would say, but that's just going up and getting it in drills and things like that. He has beat some wide receivers, things that we already kind of knew that he could do. We knew that he had talent to be a first-round pick. That's why he was selected 23rd overall, why he was a star at Ole Miss. The issue was that he really struggled with the playbook and route depths and things like that. And, you know, the more that you learn about how all this stuff works from a pre-snap sort of standpoint, you really have to be able to look at the defense on every play and read the defense in order to know where you're supposed to go as a wide receiver. Uh And you have to be on the same page with the quarterback looking at the same things. So where the cornerback is lining up against you, is he playing tight, is he playing off, is he playing you to go inside or outside, where are the safeties lined up, where could they be going, all those things have to be processed by a wide receiver. This is why Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, I think, are so good at this. Yes. Because they can look at a defense, they're very smart guys, and process it very quickly. Whether Laquan Treadwell has learned to do that yet or not, I think is to be seen maybe a little bit more in the preseason on tape. And then even still, it'll be tough for us to know. The coaching staff will know because they'll say, oh, man, he was supposed to read that leverage or read that whatever zone coverage or blitz or whatever it might be. And he was supposed to go there and he messed it up or that was an eight route, eight yard route and he ran nine or whatever it might be. Uh Those are going to be hard things for us to know. The only reason we really knew last year was because Laquan Treadwell's position coach told me that before, right uh, before the season. Yep. And then Zimmer said it as well. And there was also the game against Dallas on Thursday Night Football where it was really clear that something wasn't on the same page with those two guys. But those are the only reasons that we really knew that. So figuring out whether he's going to be able to get on the same page with Sam Bradford or not, 
uh, is going to be very hard to know, especially because he's going to win this job. If he's healthy, it's his job. He has to win the job, right? Right. I mean, what, what's there behind him? Because if Floyd's going to be out for the first four games, it, let's just say that he drives the coaching staff absolutely crazy, and they say, bleep it, we can't start him or, or we can't play him. What's behind him? Isaac Frickty at this point? I mean, he might tell us we're nuts, but I, I remain unconvinced after what we saw last year that Jarius Wright makes this team. I remain very unconvinced. And uh, so is, is Frickty up next? And, and I'm not saying that they wouldn't go. I'm not saying the coaching staff wouldn't go to a guy that they, that they trust more. What I am saying is the depth chart sort of goes from, okay, Treadwell disappointment to who the hell's next? Yeah, I think right now it probably is Isaac Frickty if it's not Jerry's right. But I don't think Jerry's right really helped his case a whole lot by saying you'd be an idiot to think that he's not making the team. That's a little much in terms of the uh, hype and bluster for a guy that had 11 catches last year. I mean, if you drop from having 42 a couple years ago to yeah. 11, that puts you on the radar. And I don't understand why you would take a jab at fans or, or say something like that that would put you in the headlines when you are hanging on by a thread with this team. He is the most experienced, but if anybody else steps up, then I think there's a chance that Jerry's Wright doesn't end up on the team and wouldn't be the next man up. I think it probably would be Frickty because of his comfort with the offense. He was on the practice squad and was even activated at the end of last year. Yep. And I also think that they like some of the things they've seen out of Stacey Coley so far. Coley was a guy who was very talented at Miami. He put up good numbers, and he is a really good route runner. He's explosive. He's got a little bit of Stephon Diggs's size, quickness sort of thing going on, mm -hmm. and he might be one that continues to step up here because I've liked some of the things I've seen from him so far, and maybe he's the next in line if Treadwell – Treadwell is going to play. So yes. it's not if he figures it out or not. He's going to be the number three wide receiver. That's locked in. But if Treadwell were to get hurt, yes. next man up, I don't really well, know right now. I think that's to be determined. I think he's going to get every chance to play to start the season. What I'm curious to see is I think if, if his route running ability with the route tree to get technical improves, he's fine. If it doesn't, though, I could see them saying, okay, we can't, we can't do this. I mean – Cordell Patterson is the poster child. When you go back to his athletic ability and understand that they basically benched him based on based on one fact, he couldn't run a route, nobody's safe. I mean, if you can't run that route. Now, take me through this, uh, because I think we talk about this a lot, and we probably don't do a good enough job explaining it. Take me through, when you're like watching film, what is a route? Because I think fans are like, well, oh, come on, it's just one route. Yeah. I mean, there's something called a route tree. So when, when we get into the whole technicality of a guy can't do this or that, what are we trying to say? Well, this is a, an interesting part of Laquan Treadwell, too, because you talk about Cordero Patterson, and they found a way to use him despite the fact that he was not good at running routes or competing for the ball. That's another thing that Patterson did not do very well that should be pointed out that I think Treadwell does do, which is go up and he can go up and get it. He did it in practice the other day. Uh, there, if you've never played Madden, I think that's how a lot of people know your routes. Uh, it's, uh, there are probably, I don't know, a dozen different directions you could go. And you could go a straight, which is a go route, in route, out. A post is where you go at a 45-degree angle, anything like that. Sure. So I think people have a general sense for what those are. But in the NFL, those change based on what the defense looks like. And also those are written out 
to the number. I mean, to the exact number of steps. And this is where it gets difficult for some guys. Correct. Because it's not just about knowing how to run that particular number of steps and then turn. Because you might say, well, what do you mean? I mean, and here's the thing, too, with Treadwell. He can get in and out of those routes quickly, which means stopping and going, turning quickly. If you ever watch Stefan Diggs on a, a comeback route where he goes up 9 or 10 yards and then slams on the brakes, comes back. Well, he, he's very good at that because he's got quick feet. Treadwell, for his size, can have those quick feet on an in route or something like that. Uh But what you have to do is first be able to see which route you're supposed to run. And then you have to nail that number of yards. Things are happening so fast out there that the quarterbacks are throwing to a spot most of the time, as opposed to like, Oh, you're going to wait for him to turn and you're going to throw it to him. You're usually throwing it before that guy even turns and you are throwing it to an exact yard line on the field. And if the wide receiver isn't there and he isn't making that catch, that's why you can really put it in people's <laughs> minds that game against Dallas, mm-hmm. that they're at the goal line, and he runs one or two extra yards. Sam Bradford throws it behind him. It looks like a bad throw by Sam, but it's really a bad route by Treadwell. And if you're the coaching staff, you're saying, how do you not know at this point that you were supposed to hit it at exactly that number of yards? And that's the issue. And some guys really do struggle with that. And that's why it's going to be hard for us to tell here in training camp if Laquan really has it or not. Because I think we went into last year against Tennessee thinking, oh, he'll definitely be active for for this game. And then he wasn't, and then he wasn't again. And then it became a big storyline. But he must have looked good enough in camp last year for people to think at least that he was going to be a part of the offense. Sure. Uh, Michael Floyd. Uh, who is going to, as we talked about before, be suspended for the first four games with the second team so far. Michael Floyd, though, has drawn raves down here, correct? Michael Floyd has looked fantastic so far. And and if this does work, what you're talking about is getting a guy who can play, keeps his nose clean, obviously, what he can play 12 games for you and can serve as a type of downfield threat that you sorely lack. Yeah, I, I think he can be even more than that. I think he can also be a red zone threat. And downfield beyond just, well, is it a go route? Is he running 40 yards and you're launching the ball up? Which is kind of a lot what Arizona used him for, where they would just be hucking it up to him. But even some of the other routes that he's run in training camp, we've kind of seen the full breadth of his talent. And if you throw it anywhere near him, he will catch it. And I think it's more of been the issue with his drop numbers because people will bring those up. A, when you're going deep balls all the time, you're opening yourself up to more drops, sure. more likely than not. Yep. I mean, they're a lot easier than screen passes to catch, or screen passes are a lot easier. Guys who catch screen passes are not going to drop as many as guys who catch 30, 40-yard bombs. Mm-hmm. I think that's one part. I also think that the way he was acting off the field, which I th- want to be sensitive to because issues with alcohol are very serious, uh, but I, I could see how that would impact maybe his performance. At sometimes he sure. had his worst season last year in terms of catch percentage and catches, and I think his targets per game were probably their lowest. So I, maybe there was some frustration there. Arizona also had some injuries on their offensive line, which would cause them maybe to not throw deep quite as often because protection but, breaks down quicker. And, yeah, yeah, that exactly. makes sense. And and we saw it when they played the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings just ate Carson Palmer alive in the second half of that game. Right. But from his skill set. He has looked even better than I thought he would, and he looks to me like he, when he comes back, could be a significant part of the offense, even if Treadwell performs pretty well. 
What does that do if if we're talking about uh, the potential starting in week five where Diggs is uh, playing up to, to his potential, which could be very, very good. Thielen, I think, at the very worst, is going to be incredibly solid. If you now introduce a downfield threat, uh, passing it game-wise, because the one thing with Bradford is, I think we all agree, Sam Bradford can throw the deep ball. The question is, will he? And if all of a sudden you put him in a position with a passing game to have the trust in a guy, I think that completely changes a dynamic that last year we probably didn't see enough of, at least. The thing that I keep coming back to with this offense is if Sam Bradford can't have a Pro Bowl season with this, and like a real Pro Bowl season, not like, hey, you're the only guy that would show up, then they probably shouldn't make him the franchise quarterback because they have set him up with so many weapons. Last year, his completion percentage throwing deep to Adam Thielen was the best or second best. It was way up there Uh of anyone in the NFL throwing deep balls to Adam Thielen. But he only threw 27 balls that qualified by NFL play-by-play as deep balls. Right. Which, compared to Mike Evans of Tampa Bay, he had 59 thrown toward him. Mm-hmm. And generally, the deep receivers are getting somewhere in that 40-50 range. He was only able to throw a handful at Diggs and a handful at Thielen. And that's where you wonder, is this something where Bradford is so risk-averse that he's not going to change even if he has more weapons, or do all of these weapons combine equal this defense or this offense will be very, very good? Because when you go through it position by position, mm-hmm. there sure are still some questions on the offensive line, but a lot have been worked out, and the weapons are all over the place. And this is where, but this is where from uh, the transition from 2016 to 17 that I can't tell for sure. Uh, because for everything that you can go back and look at Bradford for in 16, where he didn't do what you would have liked ideally, you can also say, yeah, but he didn't have this, but that was breaking Mm -hmm. down, but your left tackle was abysmal, your right tackle was weak, your run game uh, for a variety of reasons wasn't very good. So I'm with you. I mean, if you look at if, if people, if the key components can stay healthy and come back, um, Bradford is being given every opportunity, and this is why I think I think if this all goes as planned, Bridgewater's played his last game here. Because if this all goes as planned, Sam Bradford should be fantastic. I mean, Sam Bradford should be that's probably strong. Sam Bradford should be very good, potentially fantastic. Um, but you know, you come down to the fact that if the protections are good, which I think they should be much improved. Uh, I mean, heck, Dalvin Cook. Everyone so far is raving about this kid, and they're not just talking about him, his ability to to run the ball. They're talking about his ability to catch the ball, to block. I mean, if you're going to introduce a rookie who can automatically do two things that Adrian Peterson wasn't good at, that changes the dynamic completely, right? I mean, if you have a rookie who you trust to block on third down, Collar, that to me... It's not just a, a significant sea change. It's a massive one because to his last day as a Viking, that's something you never trusted that Adrian could do well. It's very interesting with Delvin Cook because I think he's shown a level of maturity that maybe we didn't expect based on what his background was, based on the fact that there were, quote, character concerns, which is just such a maddening term, isn't it? Because when I think of character concerns, I mean, yes, off-field stuff, yeah. what he was accused of. All those things, not great, right? You worry if a guy's going to get in trouble and then make your franchise look bad and you might have to move on from him. All that stuff could be a catastrophe. And you look like a jerk for drafting him. But if you put that aside, Mm -hmm. I think of character concerns as, does this guy want to learn? 
Can he learn? Yep. Does he think he knows everything already? Is he full of himself? Is he willing to pay attention? This was an issue with Mackenzie Alexander, right? He wasn't willing to listen to Terrence Newman, who I saw the other day out there coaching after practice some undrafted guy who no one even knows his name, but Newman has taken his time at 39 years old. So he's willing, right? He's got lots of willing guys to teach him, and he still wouldn't listen. Sure. I look at Cook as a guy who's very mature and has great character from that standpoint. Off the field, I have no idea. I've never hung out with him. But in terms of... Nor his, will you, so that's not going to be... Nor will I. You will never right. find out unless he does something wrong. Not unless we're doing a story together. And <laughs> even then, there still won't be hanging of the out. Um, anyway, unless he wants to grind film. You're a pretty popular guy, Colin. Don't could, sell yourself short. Yeah, we could grind film, maybe. Uh, but from what I've seen of him, yep. his maturity and how he's approached this has been very impressive. And when it comes to the pass blocking, yep. that's an area where he just... It, I don't think it was that he wasn't any good at it in college. It's that he never did it. It was that, why would you have this guy who can catch out of the backfield? Why would you have him staying home and blocking a ton? I don't think he did it a lot. And the fact that we're already hearing that he's making steps and progress there. Yep. This is a guy that I've gone from, well, we'll see, running backs, who knows, to thinking there's a possibility that this guy is the centerpiece of the offense by early in the season, that gonna, he could be that good. I'm going to run a, a theory of covering football past you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably used to characterize it as football smarts, and I probably shouldn't have. But how about this? Football maturity gets confused with your, your maturity in street clothes. Yeah. And oh, by definitely. that, I mean to sit here and say Delvin Cook has completely shocked me, and I think he's the most mature young man I've ever seen, is probably going way, way too far. But I think it also goes too far to assume immaturity off the field means the same thing will translate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's a fighting chance that Dalvin Cook is a mature football player. Does that mean he's going to be a great citizen? Got no clue. Um, But Percy Harvin, incredibly immature off the field, right? Problem child. But you put him on the field his rookie year, and he immediately fit in. Like, you ask him to do things, he could do them. I'm not saying he was perfect, but he certainly – you didn't watch him play and say, what's he doing? Um, so, so when it comes to things like applying yourself in pass protection as a back, when you've spent your whole life basically being a star, and now, now you're asked to do the dirty work, I think it's football maturity versus your maturity off the field. And I think to confuse the two as one yeah. probably is a mistake. I think the scouting r- language here would be makeup where they kind of, categorize what is good makeup what's bad makeup for whether you're going to be a good player or not Mm -hmm. if you are and it's very complicated i've I've had some really good conversations with scouts in a couple of different sports about this because it's the favorite thing of scouts to talk about like everyone agrees usually on route running and how a guy runs them or in baseball everyone agrees on whether a guy can go back and catch the ball, they would all say, yeah, Byron Buxton could go catch it. Now, whether Byron Buxton has the right makeup, now that becomes a lot more interesting because you can read into small things from guys that they do or or big things and how they approach learning the offense and how they are in the room and that sort of thing. But I, I think some people mistake also character with, is he good with the media? Or something like that. because that's exa- Yes, exactly. There are a lot of guys who have great makeup. I'm with you. Linval Joseph is not a good quote. Um, 
he probably could be from my understanding that he's got great personality, but he sure. doesn't want to be that guy. Sure. He doesn't want to be a vocal leader of the team, at least uh, through the media. But his makeup, like his drive to be great, how much he studies. Shamar Stefan told me last year, like, nobody studies harder than Linval Joseph. Yep. And I think that that's the big thing. And when you talk to other players, they're impressed by that. They aren't necessarily impressed by somebody being fast or strong, unless you're really fast and Peterson, really strong. Yeah. Prime example exactly. of, the, of what you're talking about. But they will be impressed if somebody really knows the game and yes. really works hard to study it. Yes. And I get the sense that Delvin Cook has done that and that if you're anybody else in that room, you'd be looking at a rookie, especially someone with the, quote, character concerns, who's come in and taken that right approach, mm -hmm. and you would be very impressed right away. Perfect example of the, this conversation, Randy Moss. Mm -hmm. Randy Moss was an unbelievable talent, and, and Randy could have come from Marshall to the Vikings and just said, you know what, I'm not going to work that, that hard except on Sundays and still been a phenomenal talent. But I'll never forget in 2010 in covering Moss during his month-long stint here. So this whole thing was a disaster. I walked in the locker room on more than, than one occasion during the open locker room period when most guys disappear, right? They go to the lunchroom or something. Randy would sit at his locker. He would not talk to us. He would have note cards and highlighters, and he would be looking at things, either plays he was designing or from the team. I mean, Randy Moss applied himself. He was a student of the game, and that to me is – Peterson is what? Peterson is phenomenally quick, but Adrian Peterson, there's going to come a time, I think, maybe, Collar, when Peterson's career is done and you could go back to him and say, Adrian, did you really give your all to become the best player that you could possibly be? And the honest answer would be no. I mean, he never, blocking never really, he didn't, it's not like he mm -hmm. said, I got to improve. They told him. You have to improve. And I think he made some efforts, but it was never like I've got to bear down mm -hmm. here and I've got to make myself a complete player. So I think there's a difference there, and it doesn't mean players aren't great, but it depends on the level of greatness that you wish, uh, that you wish to achieve. I think Adrian Peterson cared about his body. Oh, very lot. much so. And I did hear from some players. I asked Jarek McKinnon. Jarek and Adrian actually became pretty close, which you might think that Adrian wouldn't want to become close with a young, talented running back behind him, but they did. And he said that they would spend a lot of time studying the game, things like that, studying blocks, but applying himself fully to the, the pass blocking. I asked Latavius Murray about it. I, I asked Latavius straight out, what makes you good at pass blocking? And he said early on in his career, he got embarrassed a couple times. Yep. And he was like, I'm not going to get embarrassed again. Yep. So he just worked and worked and worked and worked at it. So Adrian probably looked at it as, that's not my job. My job is to run, and that's what I'm going to put all my effort toward. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Maybe if he went back, he would say, yeah, maybe I should have done that for the good of the team. But I, that's the difference, maybe. And is, it's not fun. It's right. a lousy part of the job. It's also, too, that Peterson was such a megastar as soon as he started. Sure. And in, so quickly. And also, don't forget, in uh, 07, 08, and 09, Chester T uh, Taylor was here. And yep. Chester Taylor was the guy that they said on third down, you're going in. So he never had to. But I, I, just, I think it's very intriguing to look at uh, star players or guys who have the potential to be stars and say, how much are they going to work on the areas of the game that aren't fun? Because mm -hmm. football, football has certain things on Sunday that I think are lots of fun and the fans mm -hmm. cheer. But there's nuances to this game that probably, for lack of a better term, suck a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. And pass protection on That's third down. Fun. If I've got a linebacker coming at me head on and it's, it's the linebacker, me, and the quarterback, I'm going to get hit. And it's no fun. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with that. What uh, What is going on with the left tackle situation? Riley Reef practiced uh, the first practice of the full squad was a week ago Thursday. We sit here recording this now on uh, on Wednesday, and Reef has certainly been seen, but he has not been back on the field since early in that Thursday practice. What's going on there? Uh, well, I have no idea what's going on with Riley Reef's injury because no one will tell us because they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, and they'll make it's, that very clear, by the way. It is as simple as that. Uh, Mike Zimmer has been asked. It's always funny when you hear from fans, and, and I love interaction probably more than any other media member. Like, I like to get reaction, but sometimes when it's like, well, how do you not know what's going on with them? Like, uh, unless I climb into the hot tub with them, I'm probably not going to find out because the team keeps these things under wraps and they'll say the same thing every time. Well, it's not serious or whatever else. Sure. We have no idea what's going the fallout, on. The fallout, though, is, is Rashad Hill who was uh, picked up off the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad last year, undrafted, signed by the Jaguars, claimed off the practice squad by the Vikings, and he played in Week 17 against the Bears. And God bless him, he played well, but he played well against the Bears team that, uh, how can I put this nicely, was mentally golfing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, it is interesting to me that he's been forced in and that there, as far as I can tell, is no backup plan behind him. Uh yeah no, no I wouldn't say there is yeah I, How about I was that? trying to think if uh, there was anyone you want else to go TJ who no he has been playing guard TJ Clemmings which right. is good for him uh, Willie Beavers as far as I can tell has still been Willie Beavers he is I think he's struggled um, I can't decide if Tayshon Bowers who's a guy that's an undrafted free agent I can't decide if he's looked really good or if it's been uh, some of the backup offensive linemen who have really struggled against him. All right. Uh, but as far as Rashad Hill goes, though, I think everybody has been impressed so far at how he stepped in and faced Everson Griffin in that first team defense, which is among the best, if not the best defensive line in the NFL. And for a guy who played in one game and was on a practice squad last year to be able to even show competence in practice against those guys and they all work hard, those front guys love to uh, show everybody that they're top dog out there so everson griffin is not taking plays off in practice mm -hmm. he's making sure that uh, rashad hill's going to be ready i have thought he's done a pretty good job considering the circumstances but this is not a player that you want to start there and i think over 16 games it would be problematic uh, with so little experience and so I think what we're all waiting to find out is, is Riley Reef actually going to be back soon at some point, or is this going to be any sort of long-term issue? And we really have no indication either way. Why is there not a veteran here then? And I'm not saying that, that that veteran should have been brought in here to compete, but I'm saying this after what you went through last year, why is there not a potential swing left, right tackle um, perhaps on the same line of the depth chart as Rashad Hill, who you can, if something goes drastically wrong and Hill struggles or gets hurt, turn to him? I think what the plan would be if Rashad Hill struggled, if he had to come in for Riley Reeve and he struggled, yep. would be to move Mike Remmers from right to left tackle where he played last year and struggled a lot in Carolina okay. and then use Jeremiah Searles as the right tackle where he also struggled last year. And if... <laughs> You're not getting you're, the indication. Not, this would be quite bad, you're not, I think. You're not painting a picture that if <laughs> yeah. I'm a Viking fan, I really want to see Matthew Collar. They, yeah, they do not want to see Riley Reef go down. But Rashad Hill would have to struggle in that case, too. And I think, if anything, he's been one of the more impressive players here for making an impression for himself and giving the team some confidence. And right now, I don't think it's any 
situation where we should be panicking over Riley Reef being out because sure, we've I'm, got a yeah, month I'm, left to go before yes. they play. I'm just saying more as far as backup plans go. I mean, yeah. if, I mean, as far as I could tell, this organization, as we've talked about for a few months now, has its sights set on a postseason run, mm-hmm. perhaps a Super Bowl run. I just thought it might be a good idea to look at your offensive line and say, you know what, after what we went through last year, we really should go out and sign a uh, a player like Long, but instead of getting him off the couch in week three or whatever it was, get him in here now, pay him a little bit, and he can be up to speed. Well, what I c- Not panicking. Yeah, what I can say about that is that two of the offseason signings at left tackle uh, have retired already. Ryan Clady's... Th- Yep, retired. Ryan right? Clady and Brandon Elbert have both retired since. Like, they Clady, were, didn't Clady not get picked up and decide to retire? I uh, believe and he said he was going to retire. I thought he did get picked. Albert up. Albert went or to maybe uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, maybe Clady. Didn't I'm just. Get I'm up. just saying. But that, in my, my case, point is just who is out there. It, I mean, there was a right tackle slash guard in Austin Pastor, which I had brought up a few times. A guy from Cleveland that no one really knows, and I don't know that uh, he's found a spot yet, but. What's as far Viking, as who can play left tackle, yep, I don't know. I mean, if you're looking for guys who are backups who could play left tackle, you'd probably be better off moving Remmers over to the other side okay. and then playing someone like Jeremiah Searles, who was okay in run blocking last year but struggled in pass blocking, like the rest of the team struggled in some area or another. I think that's your backup plan, and no, it's not a good one. I would also say, like, I'm not trying to defend them because if there was a guy that was a veteran, mm-hmm. I would say, yes, bring them in if you can. Mm-hmm. But how many good situations are there once guys go down? Well, I'm, I agree. All I'm saying is this. Is there not a potential plan to bring somebody off their couch now to have them prepared if something – hey, listen, if you were shooting for 8-8, eight and eight, I'd say fine. Who cares? All I'm, all I'm saying is you got sort of a cautionary tale last year, and if you really think – if, if you go along with what Zim thinks, which is, hey, two years ago we won 11 games and the division, and this really should be that team, not the 2016 team, I would just have as much, especially now, I would have as much backup plan as possible. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, and hey, if you make phone calls and, they, and people say no thanks, that's fine too. I'm not panicked. I'm just looking at things that went really wrong last year and saying, can you be prepared at least a little bit more? And it's just interesting uh, that Reef went down on day one, hasn't been back since, and so you're all, so you're sort of being given this early glimpse of okay, you're, you're taking your chances just a little bit. Yeah, so. and there's were options along the way. I mean, they decided to draft a run-stuffing linebacker instead of an offensive lineman in the fourth round with Ben Gideon. The first two picks, I, I don't think, are really questionable. Delvin Cook and Pat Elfline as the first two picks, I think you came away thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we got these two players. Yeah, because in Cook, you got a potential first-round first round pick in the second round, and in Elfline, what, a second-round pick in the third round? There were some people who had him as a late first. Okay, so because I'm was, with you on this. Yeah, because I'm totally with you on this. a quality player for Ohio State. Uh, so getting them in the second and the third, they sure. felt really great about. But after that, uh, they decided not to draft any of the, the tackles that were still remaining. They drafted a couple of guards. Danny Isidora so far has gotten high praise from Mike Zimmer, uh, but they didn't pick up anybody else there. They didn't pick up anyone who could play right tackle in the case that you would have to move Remmers over to the left tackle. So right. there will be, if this all goes down in flames or something like it did last year, there will be areas to go back and check. But I do think that in Rashad Hill, they found someone who might be capable for a handful of games if they need him. And by the way, what you pointed out last year, I believe, after they picked him up from Jacksonville, you wrote and or said, 
Why not play him? And they wouldn't play him. And keep in mind, too, in Week 17, T.J. Clemens got hurt. Rashad Hill did not play in Week 17 against the Bears because he got a chance because they said, what the hell? He got a chance to play only after Clemens got hurt. To your credit, you pointed that out. So I thought I'd bring that up as well. Well, uh, Nick, because, oh, oh, just go ahead. Clemens was like as bad as it gets. Oh, he, I know. No, if I know. you had put, but you said that like four times to me. I, I'm not even <laughs> kidding. If you had put like David Morgan in at left tackle, who's just a blocking tight end, yes, you probably would have been in just as good a shape. Out of all the tight ends in the league, Pro Football Focus rated Clemens as the worst. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so. I don't understand why they didn't give Rashad Hill a shot a little earlier last year, especially after we saw him play and he looked like he belonged in the NFL. Maybe it was his lack of experience, or maybe he just didn't have the offense down yet. But but he had like the footwork necessary, just the yeah. little, just the things that that potentially can mean that that you're not going to be a complete disaster. Uh, tight end, mm-hmm. Bucky, a Bucky update, superstar. A Bucky he update. Already superstar, megastar, receiver, and... Gronk, 2.0. Uh, no. Now, <laughs> this is a funny one for me. Yep. And uh, Ben and I talked about this a little bit. Um, actually, we're using it as our promo, I think, uh, for our podcast. We are. On the station where I say that I'm skeptical of Bucky Hodges. Yes. So what I wanted to bring up, and I've got an article running on it now on the site, is... What's realistic for Bucky Hodges? Because as I mentioned in the promo, you hear me say I'm skeptical and I am because there's a lot of hype around his size, his height, his speed. So negative. But Unlike me. he had one of the highest drop rates in college football last year. Look that up today. Really? Yeah. It was oh, one, that's interesting. Yep, it was Didn't one of the highest that. drop rates. Okay. And he also has basically never blocked before. And so Pat Shermer talked about that today okay. of trying to teach him how to block. One thing that I heard was nice at least if you're on the uh, team Bucky Hodges or you believe that he's going to be an impact player, is that Shermer said his willingness to try things that he hasn't tried and how he's picked up on some of them so far have been a positive because he certainly has the size to block people. It's just whether he can actually learn the technique and how to do it and actually want to do it as opposed to I'm just going to be the guy who catches the ball or something like that. So that's a positive in his corner. But I think realistic for him is that he makes it into a handful of games and maybe is used in the red zone, gets a couple of targets here or there. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that if he's going to be really good, I think you're talking about a couple of years from now, not making a huge impact in 2017. But just to be very, very clear about this, too, he can learn to block while still maybe not being used a ton, but he can become this year a, a guy who could have an influence in the pass game and the fact he can't block is a detriment, and certainly you want that to improve, but it doesn't eliminate him, correct? I mean, because tight ends, because you, you've got some tight ends who are great blockers and can't catch, and they spend their whole career that way. So if you were to utilize a Bucky in the pass game, work on his blocking, and, and have him gradually improve there, that's doable, right? It's doable. The question is whether he can get open in the NFL. Because you have linebackers who are also fast. Sure. And you have... But that's another uh, question. Yeah, you have safeties who can jump. But my point is the lack of of blocking ability doesn't mean he can't be used in in certain pass situations and be successful there. It's not not going to sabotage the entire offense. The issue is that if you have a guy that everyone knows cannot block, every time he's in the game, you know that 
there's probably a reason in, in terms of throwing a pass. Sure. And it's probably going in his direction if he's in the game. Like, it kind of waves a flag to the other team. If Bucky's in, we're not running in that direction, so you don't even have to worry about that. And that gives the defense a little bit of an advantage knowing what you're going to do. Good point. Yeah. It, although, I would say this, that even if Bucky Hodges can block a little, he's probably just as good as Kyle Rudolph at blocking because Rudolph is at the very bottom of the league in run blocking. You understand that Kyle is a very popular guy in this town, <laughs> right? You, I mean, you come, I in, you, you come in from Buffalo, and you come in with your hot takes on Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> you understand that the other all-sports station in this town loves this guy and, and has him on probably twice a day. He, Would you quit bringing up the shortcomings? He does strike me as a pretty good guy. I would say we, we should start a segment on this podcast called Collar's Crosshairs. And, <laughs> and I would say that Collar's Crosshairs starts with Bradford. Because when Bradford got here, you were pretty high on Bradford. And then you watched more and more film. And, and, and the, whole, the whole gist of the Crosshairs segment w- would be guys that you've watched on film. Because this isn't, you don't like not like them arbitrarily. What happens is you watch film. Bradford, he's number one. I think Rudolph, number two. Uh, yeah, because you were. I, might be, I, yeah. I, I, I would never say that you were a big Kyle fan, but you didn't weigh in that much about him last year. And then I swear you, you watched a bunch of film this summer, and you came back and said, "You really can't block at all, Kenny." That is correct. College crosshairs. That's exactly what I did. I. I'm an observant the, young man, by the, the way. The game. Thank you. Young is a stretch, but <laughs> uh, compared to Sid Hartman, I guess. I'm an observant old fart, by the way. Um, it was a game against Arizona. There were other games where I might have noticed it, but I was looking for a particular play uh, by Jarek McKinnon. And so I was going back and going through a bunch of stuff, a bunch of plays, trying to find. I remember him doing this thing. Where was it? And every run that I watched was getting blown up. Now, Arizona has a great defensive line, but they were getting blown up. He was just a turnstile for the most part. He was basically as poor as TJ Clemmings, only at the tight end version of blocking. It was really that bad, It was really that bad. Oh, wow. And I thought, man, if he's not bringing any of that and he's playing 92% of the snaps and he also is no vertical threat, so nobody has to worry about him. No other team has to say, boy, they could go deep with the tight end here. No one ever has to say that. Their safeties can play up on him. You can guard him with a linebacker. You can pretty much play uh, over the top of him with your zone. See, one of the things you could do when other teams have zone coverages against a tight end is you can run like a post route in between the linebacker and safety. You see Rob Gronkowski did this whole drop time. Drop it in, yeah. Yep, and you drop that in. It's got to yeah. be a great throw, but with Rob Gronkowski, it always it's is. It's a common play now, too. And, I mean, you, yep. you do see it a bunch. And Bradford could do it. It's a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, a skinny post or something like that. It takes a touch and to do, though. It, it does, but You're Bradford quite- can definitely make that throw. Sure. But the wide receiver or the tight end has to be able to get to that spot and go up and get it, and he's got to be fast enough to get there. And I don't see that either. So I don't see any sort of big threat from Rudolph down the field because he isn't that fast. He doesn't block all that well either, which is a shortcoming of his. So they often keep him pretty contained to throws that are 7 to 10 yards But you're saying he's a bad blocker. He's, oh, yes. I mean, you're not oh, saying yes. he doesn't block that well. You're saying that, that this far into his career, he's a flat-out bad blocker. Well, Pro Football Focus rated him 55th out of 61. Okay. But, I mean, that's an important 
difference to me. I mean, if you're average at something, I think you can get by. Oh, sure. I agree. But if you're bad this far in, no, if you're bad and you're two and you can improve, that's fine. Yeah. I, I kind of have my own fact. I kind of have my own scale for things like that. Yeah. Of like, okay, is a guy elite at it? PJ Fleck would be proud thanks, of that yeah. one. Yeah, is he like. Royce is going to. Rip your eyeballs. Is out, he but. above average at it? Is he yeah. capable at it? Or is he incapable? And right. I think Kyle Rudolph is incapable of being a good blocker, which does hurt them. And I think we could see more of David Morgan this year because of that. I don't think that Rudolph is going to play as many snaps as he did last year. Uh, last thing uh, before we go, what is uh, going on so far in your observation of the nickel corner position, which coming into this camp to me is one of the biggest things because if that's good – this defense could be in really good shape, and if it's not good, I think this defense could get picked apart because of one position. Yeah, what's interesting about that is that we went into camp saying there is no backup, that Terrence Newman is probably the backup, and that's changed, that playing with the second team now is Anton Exum, who will be maybe best remembered for this camp for getting in a fight with Laquan Treadwell, but uh, he's been playing in that nickel spot as the number two, which you would still see a big gap between... Mackenzie Alexander he's not being challenged I remember at some point in the offseason uh, Mike Zimmer said oh well he's gonna have to win that job well he's got that job there's nobody who's fighting for that position with him so far for how he's looked has been okay to me but it, it's really hard to tell uh, when a, with a nickel spot if he's doing his job if he's not doing his job yes, I'm I mean this you. is this is the thing that drives me crazy about the internet and takes about training camp is 90% of the information you just don't have. You don't know what a guy was supposed to do. You can't even go back on film. And this is what you're talking about, where if I thought I saw something, like when we watched the game with the Houston Texans, I thought, you know what? I think TJ Clemmings is getting blown up really bad in this game. And when I went back and watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> I mean, I really mean it. It's not funny, it. but it is. No, but it's true. But I, my, right. my reaction was right. like my eyes but popped But you had the ability head. to go back and watch it. Exactly. You and don't I don't care. have the ability to go back and watch this. And I also don't know what assignments are. Yes. So is he getting the assignments or not? And only the coaching staff does. Only Down the coaching staff it, Nobody knows. else does. And here's the other thing, too. Nobody's really talking about that. A lot of times, the only way to figure these things out is yep. to ask this person or that person. Yep. Mackenzie Alexander, for whatever reason doesn't like to talk to the media and pretty much turns down any request which is very odd no one cares about it so i'm not going to go on about it but it's very odd that neither he or trey wayans will ever talk to the media when terrence newman and xavier rhodes always do yep but that's so terrence is not the backup though now i don't think so i believe so that he, terrence so he and, and wayans are at one corner xavier's yeah. at one corner and what you're saying is that McKenzie and Exum, you said? Yeah. Are in the slot. And I okay. think Exum makes the team because of that. Okay. I, a question for you also. Um, you, you've done a really good job documenting the the receivers that Ray, that Rhodes. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. You've done an <laughs> okay job at documenting the receivers yeah. that Rhodes will go up against this year. And it's a litany of really good receivers. Yep. Um, with the ability of guys now to play outside and inside, how many of those guys could be taken off of Rhodes at times and put in the slot? My point, be, my point being, if you could just have Rhodes, and and I also saw this, that Rhodes actually spent uh, part of this mm -hmm. of of the past few months uh, working on playing in the slot. Is there any way? Because they won't, if they're going to do that, they're not going to show that till week one. I mean, they're not going to show Rhodes playing slot down here. And I don't think when you're playing vanilla defenses, you would certainly show that in the preseason. 
Uh, is there any chance that they're going to go to some type of hybrid at times, I guess, where Rhodes could follow a guy and not only at either corner but into the slot? I think yes. Because that and would confuse teams for a little while. Week two is where we want to look for that with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown does play on the outside, but he'll move around. He's basically like Stephon Diggs in that way, that he'll move all over the field. Okay. And it wouldn't surprise me with Antonio Brown being the best of the best if you see Xavier Rhodes just track him all day. And he'll do that. Including inside, though. I think he will, yeah. Which and, Has he done that before? Has he played? I don't remember uh, him playing Beckham, a lot of slot. Yeah, Beckham. When Beckham moved inside okay. at any time last okay. year, he would track right. Beckham there, too. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that. And I think that that's what they were supposed to do because Jordy Nelson would line up in the slot sometimes, too. Yes, he would. And I think they were supposed to do that oh. in rogue cornerback yep. gate or whatever it was. Yeah, one series, two yeah. series, whatever I, it was. I think that uh, that's what was supposed to happen, okay. and then it didn't. Um, but what you might have in that scenario is Mackenzie Alexander not on the field, and you have Terrence Newman and Trey Wayans playing on the outside, and then oh, Xavier. Yes. That's if you know that they're doing a lot of that and you can anticipate it. Yes. Otherwise, you might have to ask Alexander to guard someone on the outside, which is what he did for his entire college career, so he should be capable at that. The nickel spot is extremely, extremely difficult. It's different from any other cornerback position. I'm with you. And we're going to find out really quickly, I think, if Mackenzie Alexander being trusted there was the right move or not. We're done, I believe. Do you have more to offer on this episode of the Pro Podcast, Matthew Collar? Have you not. emptied your well, reporter's notebook? Uh, no, I never have. We'd have to go hours and <laughs> hours and Any final and thoughts that you would like to uh, convey to the listeners before, they, uh, before we go away? Uh, that... Uh, Right now, there is no leader for Mr. Mankato. Oh. I do not have a leader right not now. Isaac Frickty, your guy? Isaac Frickty had one really good day. Uh, he got some reps with the first team, yep. which is a very good sign for me in my selection. Uh, Bucky Hodges had one good day. Okay. There have been a lot of that. There's been a lot of this guy. I've heard guy my guy's doing pretty well. Who's your guy? Linebacker Elijah Lee. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard rumblings. I'm How not going to say you from tell? where I'm going to say I'm going to tell you right now I'm hearing rumblings. That's my thing. Who could tell by watching a couple of padded practices whether Elijah Mr. Lee is so doing great. Well. It just gets to be a uh, stump, and we, we, we're like political hucksters. Yeah. We just stump for our picks. That's true. That's true. I don't think that there is anybody standing along the sidelines who could watch Elijah Lee and be like, oh, yeah, he's standing way out. I'm going to do that next three days. Now, when we see the um, preseason games, if Elijah Lee gets a pick six or something like that, if he goes all Audie Cole on this thing, I think you might have a chance there. But right now, I, I'm waiting until preseason, All right. which we're only a week away from a game. I know. I'm waiting until preseason to start making statements. Football, football is the funniest thing because training camp starts and the first couple practices, you're, you're like, oh, that's intriguing. That's intriguing. And about now you say, I can't wait for a game. <laughs> yes. and, and by the time you get to the fourth preseason game, you cannot wait for a real game. Yes. Football is the one sport where you get sick of every, a every aspect that leads into the season. Practices become beyond tedious. The and then the preseason games. And by the way, the Hall of Fame game now, Thursday night, on the day we're recording this now, they're going to play a game tonight. I believe it's what, the Cardinals and Cowboys or something. Hey, we're so. into August. It's football. Football. All right, All right. That, is, uh, Math that is Matthew Collar. I'm Judd Zolgad. This is the Purple Podcast. We will uh, be back soon in some way, shape, or form. Football. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.